Lovely to be with you this morning and um, worship God. Isn't it a great time of worship that we had together? Now, as Steve said, I'm continuing on our series on countercultural. We live in a nation and a world where the culture around us can be very different to what we believe and what's written in the Bible. So far, we've looked at the topics of identity, of science, of fatherlessness, of poverty. And uh, today, I'm going to be looking at the sanctity of life, the value of life itself. Now, if I'm completely honest, I feel completely unqualified to teach or preach on this particular subject. This is a topic that I think has to be approached with, with gentleness, with compassion, with grace, with love, because it involves real people with real dilemmas who are trying to find the right path in which to outwork their lives. I start uh, with a quote from a guy called John Wyatt, and um, this is a book that he wrote called Matters of Life and Death, and I would fully recommend this book. So yes, he has written this book, and uh, it's called Matters of Life and Death, Human Dilemmas in the Light of the Christian Faith. And he explores this whole um, topic in a lot of detail. And if you wanted to do more study and um, look at it yourself, then do get that book and, and have a look through that, because that, you would find that very helpful. So, and a quote from his book, he says, These dilemmas, or these matters of life and death, touch the most intimate, painful, and vulnerable parts of our lives. On the one hand, we have culture. Culture shouts at us that there is the rights of the individual, the adult, the one, the person who feels and wants is what is important. If a decision is right for the person, they should be allowed to do it. And as such, people's rights should be respected and upheld. That's kind of what the culture around us says. And on the other hand, we uphold and stand on the Christian worldview that fundamentally puts the Word of God central to all decisions and outworking of life. That life is based on something outside of ourselves. We stand on the Bible as the inherent Word of God. And that God values all human life from conception to end of life, whatever path and direction that life may take. So what's the reality of the world around us and what's going on? So I just wanted to share a couple of uh, statistics with you before we go on and talk about this. The first, the total number of abortions in the UK per year has remained relatively constant at around 185,000 since 2012. The second statistic. At this moment in time, there are six countries in the world and there are six American states where voluntary euthanasia and or doctor-assisted suicide is legally available. 
So that's what's going on. That's what is going on in the world. So just want to start by um, quoting John Stott, who um, actually does the forewords in this book. And he says this about um, John Wyatt's approach to this particular subject. He said, John Wyatt's personal integrity shines through the whole book. He makes no attempt to conceal disturbing facts or to hide his own struggles and uncertainties. He ducks no questions and offers no glib solutions to complex contemporary problems. Nor does he underestimate the seriousness of the current liberal assault on traditional Christian doctrines and ethics, not least on the sanctity of human beings made in the image of God. Can we pray? Father, I thank you for who you are and the life that we know in you. That as we were even just worshipping you, we were reminded that our hope is found in you. That life itself is found in you. Jesus, I just pray now that you would speak to our hearts that we would not be uh, timid in responding to what you may want to speak to us about this morning, that we may receive your love and your grace as we consider this topic. Amen. So, John Stott, again I come to him, He's, um, he was um, a pastor in, uh, in London, he was in fact ranked in the top 100, would you believe, of the um, Time magazine in 2005, for the most influential people in the world. And as he was a Christian, and as Christians, he encourages us with great sensitivity in approaching this subject to use what he calls double listening. Listening to what people think, say, or do in order to understand the real issues that people are facing. Encourage us to listen to where people are coming from and the complexities of their lives. To do this without blame, without condemnation, without judgment, but with a heart to understand, to listen, to cross a bridge, to understand the trauma, the difficulties, and the complexities of every situation. And we do that in order that by God's grace... God may allow us to be part of other people's lives and the decisions that they have to make. The other side of the double listening is to listen to the unchanging, faithful and steadfast word of God, established and firm. The word of God which is consistent from one generation to the next. The word of God which is solid in its foundation, like a rock, because it's true, it's just, it's right, and it's full of life and hope. We listen to God's word in order to develop an authentic and clear Christian perspective on the sanctity of life. Now, as I was preparing for this, I felt God gave me a picture. And it was a picture of a bridge. And this bridge was to, if you like, bridge these two parts of listening. And I saw myself on one side of this bridge, 
And on the side, if you like, of people who knew God, the Bible, knew Jesus, their saviour. And then perhaps on the other side were people who were distant from God for whatever reason. And I just imagined building this bridge. So I just got these bricks and I was just very happily brick building. I've tried a bit of it before and quite, quite happy with my brick building skills. So here I was building this bridge in my mind over this river. Um, and as I got sort of halfway, I just thought, actually, I can't build anymore because if I build, the bridge is going to fall into the river and it's not going to work. So I was standing on the edge of this bridge and I was shouting across to the other side, hey, you're going to start building your bridge so that we can join up. We can get, these bridge, get this bridge built and, it's, uh, and it'll be great because, you know, we'll be able to cross over the bridge. And people just kept ignoring me. They wouldn't build the bridge. And I thought, oh, this is not going to get built, is it? This bridge isn't going to get built this way. And I just felt God say to me, what, you know, well, why would they start building a bridge? You know, there's, there's no reason for them to build a bridge. They're happy. They're getting on with things that they're getting on with. So I just sensed then, actually, I need to cross over this river, but not by this bridge. So I walked off the bridge, and I swam across this river. Now, this river kind of had too much of a current because I'm not a very good swimmer. But I swam to the other side of this river. And I started spending time with the people on the other side of the river. I started listening, if you like, like John Stott encourages, in order that in God's timing, the people might say, well, yeah, why not, why not start building a bridge? You know, I've got some bricklaying skills. We could come along together and I could say, well, this is how you build the first brick. This is how we build the bridge together. And eventually, that bridge gets built. You see, each one of us has the word of life, the word of God, dwelling in our hearts. That's the truth. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've got the word of God dwelling in your heart. You know, you have an opportunity to sow a seed of hope and life into someone else's life. That's the truth. Each one of us is called to take the word of God into the world. And as we do, that bridge will get built. You know, a brick may take six months to lay. It may take a year. You know, it may take a year of talking to your neighbor over the fence. It may take longer. But one day when you invite them, say, look, we've got this course we're running in our home. It's called an Alpha course. It's an opportunity to explore the Christian faith. You know, you can just come and be part of it, be part of the community, you know, come and have some food. Food often is a good way to get people interested. But it's a great way to get to know and understand a bit more of the meaning of life. It may take a long time, but they may say yes. And what a great opportunity then for somebody to discover the love and the value that God has for them as an individual. You know, looking at the whole area of the sanctity of life, you know, I think there's a, a deeper and real culture behind the culture. You know, one which is actually quite painful and vulnerable, that God actually wants to breathe life into. And I think he wants to do that today for each one of us, but also for those around us 
as we trust in him and take steps of faith towards Jesus. And um, I want to spend a few moments looking at what the Bible tells us about sanctity of life and value of life and what God says about it. And I want to do that with three headings. Those three headings are creation, covenant, and continuity. We see from Genesis 1 that God created all things. And in creating things, what, how did he consider all that he created? Good. God considered everything he created good. All things were good. The miracle of new birth and life echoes the creation narrative of Genesis. God created something out of nothing. So if we read some of Genesis 1, verse 1, says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then, boom! Because God said, let there be light, and there was light. God created something out of nothing. God then spent three days creating uh, night and day and water, sky, land and sea. And then on the fourth day, let land produce vegetation, trees bearing fruit. God creates life, living vegetation. On the fifth day, again, God in the business of creating, creates creatures of the sea and air. And then on the sixth day, he's still not finished. He creates creatures that live on the land. And then on the sixth day, he does something extra special. Because on that day, he creates man. Man and woman. Humankind. He creates a particular type of mammal that's created in the image of God himself. Reflecting something of God's very DNA. It says in Genesis 2, verse 7, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God brings life, and he brings life out of nothing, abundant life, life that is good. And then God went on and planted a garden, in which he puts trees, and in particular, the tree of life. The tree of life. Now, the tree of life, why was it there? Well, I think we get a bit of insight about the tree of life from Proverbs and, and Revelation. And in the book of Proverbs, the tree of life is used, in, uh, used as imagery in conjunction with wisdom and understanding and uh, the fruit of righteousness. So in Proverbs 3, um, verse 18, in fact, I'm going to read from verse 13. So I'm going to flip through now to Proverbs. Proverbs 3, um, verse 13. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life um, in her right hand, in her left hand, are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. Now, this is what is important. Wisdom and understanding. She is a tree of life 
to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. She is a tree of life. Wisdom and understanding are found from the tree of life. It then says in Proverbs 11 verse 30, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. The tree of life is full of fruit, righteousness, wisdom, and understanding. And then in Revelation, it tells us that those in the new heavens and the new earth will enjoy the fruit of this tree for all of eternity. In Revelation 2 verse 7, it says, To the one who conquers, I will grant to the ability to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And then in Revelation 22, on either side of the river, the tree of life will its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I mean, the tree of life is full of good fruit and healing and wisdom and understanding. So God creates life. He breathed life into the dust of the earth. He produced man in his image. He planted a tree of life, which brings wisdom and understanding. And he subsequently brings life to all he touches and is involved in. John Wyatt, the book um, that I referenced earlier, he develops an analogy as God being an artist of human beings, but of human beings as his flawed masterpiece. But that each person is a masterpiece of divine creation. Divine creation. Every single human being is a masterpiece of divine creation. I think we need to hear that, that you are a masterpiece of divine creation, that you reflect the divine image of God himself, and so possessing incalculable value. There's so much value in you as an individual, yet it is evil that has spoiled God's creation. So that's the first, creation. Second, covenant. God the creator is in a covenant relationship with us. God has an unconditional commitment to the world and the people he created. He has a covenant. He is a promise to us that he will never leave us. That's a promise of God. Now, I just want to turn to Psalm 139. Um, now, quite a lot of us will know this psalm. And it starts the, it's the psalm that starts with, Oh, Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Now, the writer of this psalm starts with, Oh, Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. Now, this isn't just an intellectual awareness, but it's the kind of knowledge that implies a committed, intimate involvement with the person of, that wrote this psalm and God himself. An intimate involvement that he's known by the God of heaven. If we go on to verse uh, 13, so let's have a look there. It says, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. This isn't a perspective of an awareness of God, but this is rather that God was aware of the person. The person in the womb, 
this unique and individual life. Thirdly, continuity. In Psalm 139, we see that the writer is almost meditating on his own personal journey through life. The narrative from the past, if you like, you search me. From the present, you know when I sit and when I rise. And the future, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. It's that confidence that the writer has that God is with him through the whole of his personal journey. Gives a clear sense that God, you know, continues to be that person with him. Now, let's, um, so I lost my place. Um, There's even a bit in verse 7. You know, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You know, there's almost a little bit of, um, and I'm quoting again um, from the book, but he uses the phrase emotional claustrophobia, which I thought was quite an interesting phrase to use. You know, I need some space from you, God, but I can't get it. You know, and I think that God's okay with that. You know, God is there waiting patiently, full of love and acceptance. You know, love sometimes is sometimes a hard thing to receive because it, sometimes we just want to run away from it because we're like, I am not worthy. I don't deserve to be loved. Just leave me alone. But the perfect love of our Heavenly Father is one that actually we just, we're just ourselves. We're just accepted. You know, we don't need to run away from it. We run into it because it's the most precious, most completing thing of who we are that we could ever know. And so there's a real honesty with the psalmist here. He's like saying, where can I go? I just, ah, God, you're just too loving for me. But the psalm gives us a real sense and and value that life itself is ultimately in his hands. Every single human being, this unique life which each of us has, is in his hands. And he wants to lead us to life everlasting, as it says in the final verse. Lead me in the way everlasting, as it says in the NIV. So those are the three things that I really wanted to, if you like, hang um, the whole idea of sanctity of life on from the word of God. But what about the culture that we live in? How do we engage with this culture? How are we countercultural, if you like, yet reach out to those in the culture. And I suppose it, referring back to how I started with the bridge. But I want to answer this question by looking at the woman at the well. The woman at the well, as we, many of us know the story, she was drawing water. The disciples had gone off to a Tesco Express to get the supplies. And Jesus was there all alone at the well. And the woman uh, that was there was a Samaritan. She also was drawing water. Um, and as you know, Jesus was a Jew. And Jews and Samaritans, they never mixed. Yet Jesus engages her in conversation. And I just want to just have a li- little look at this with you. So John 4, um, and uh, I'm going to just pick out a few things. But um, So when a Samaritan, verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answers, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So here, Jesus 
engages with the Samaritan woman. He contrasts the natural water with this living water. And he says that I will provide this water and in a way that you'll never go thirsty. And this water will become a a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, we all know the story. Most of us know the story. That the woman was so impacted by this encounter with Jesus that Jesus, you know, asks her a question. Um, where the woman says, um, "So, so I won't give me this water, so I won't be thirsty, and have to keep coming here to draw water." And Jesus says to her, "Go, call your husband and come back." And this is what she replied. And I, you know, she could have said anything, but she says, "I have no husband." She's very truthful. With Jesus, and Jesus replies, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. You know, Jesus is so accepting of this woman, so accepting of this woman. You know, many of us may have made bad decisions, mistakes, but Jesus takes us just as we are. It doesn't matter. There is such an acceptance that Jesus wants to show and a love for each and every single human being. Jesus knew her situation. He didn't condemn her. In fact, he offered her living water. And the woman was so impacted by Jesus and their conversation that she went back to the village, completely transformed, that she spoke of a prophet that had come from this Jewish nation. And many come to faith in Jesus. So my question is, what would Jesus say to you right now? What does Jesus say to the world around us? What does Jesus want to say to men and women who have been affected by abortion, euthanasia, and the value of life as a whole? I would say a few things from this story of Jesus. As with Jesus and the lady at the well, he's a personal God who wants a personal, intimate relationship with us. He wants to say things to us that are significant for us alone as individuals. That's the first thing. Secondly, that the God of all creation, the God that values life, all life, knows the deepest secrets and skeletons in our closet. The things that might cause us shame and condemnation, and yet those things do not exclude us from meeting with him personally. That's the truth. Thirdly, that Jesus wants to speak love and acceptance to us. And fourthly, Jesus redeemed her and set her free for purpose. I mean, she was one of the greatest evangelists in the area. And she impacted her community with the good news of Jesus. Do you know Jesus and the work of his power and Holy Spirit in your heart? Have you been impacted in your life by any aspects of the sanctity of life and the consequences of it? Then I'd encourage you to receive prayer if you feel that that is something you would like at the end of this service. If you're dealing with or weighed down by any shame or condemnation for any reason, and again, I'd encourage you to receive prayer. And I would say as well, really just to be sensitive to that. You don't have to confess them to 
the person you're praying with. Because it's not about confessing out loud. It's about bringing it to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that wants to come and bring healing, restoration, and ultimately life to every single human being. And finally, um, and I haven't really talked about the whole assisted suicide, the, the euthanasia side, but I just want to share this, if you like, a testimony of what is going on um, in this whole area. And some of you may know that Guernsey recently had a, um, a debate and was talking about um, legalizing um, assisted suicide. And, um, and I just want to read from a charity that um, works in the political arena uh, called CARE, and uh, they make a Christian difference in the political uh, sphere. And this is what they wrote um, about what happened recently in Guernsey. It's been great to work closely with care supporters on Guernsey to help them campaign against proposals to introduce assisted suicide on the island. The chief minister and deputy chief minister tabled a legislation asking that the Guernsey parliament, parliament the states of Guernsey, for, principle, uh, for in principle vote in favour of assisted suicide in February 2018. This is how recent this is. The debate, which ran over three days from the 16th to the 18th of May, culminated in the endorsement of an amendment by the former Chief Minister Deputy Jonathan Latoc. Now, Some of you may remember him. He came and preached here uh, a little time ago, maybe a year ago. But with his influence and his um, kingdom values, he was able to influence the decision that was made in Guernsey. It then goes on to say that this completely replaced the assisted suicide proposals with proposals to enhance the island's palliative care service. Following the defeat of the attempts to introduce assisted suicide in the Scottish and Westminster parliaments in 2015, this is a great encouragement for which we are very thankful to God. These are real issues that we are facing, but the kingdom of God is advancing. And I praise God for politicians that stand up for kingdom values and are not afraid to do that. What a great God that we serve. I want to, I think I've got some practical things. Have I got a slide uh, after this one? There we go. So obviously it's very personal, what I've been talking about in terms of individual responses to this particular challenging message. But there are also practical ways that we could get involved in this this sphere of, of uh, kingdom life. Pray, get alongside people, which is what perhaps I was referring to a lot in my preach. Signing up to care or other Christian charity, charities that work in this sphere of influence. Write to your MP. Um, get involved in kingdom life. Wonderful. Shall we all stand? And I'm going to pray for us all. And then um, hand over to Claire or Tim. Tim is going to lead us in a song as we respond together. Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the work that you've done on the cross that brings us life. Jesus, you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that whoever comes to you may know eternal life. And Jesus, I pray that you will breathe life over this place right now by your Holy Spirit. Breathe life, Lord. 
And Lord, bring um, a release of healing, restoration, new life, Lord. Jesus, we love you. Hallelujah. I just pray for everybody now, Lord, as they they just uh, bring their offering of worship as we sing this song to you, Lord, that you would help us continue to connect with you, the living God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.